This is a honey butter chicken biscuit from one of my favorite institutions that America has ever given to us, Whataburger. I actually have a second one. Um, and so I know we're talking about Envy in a couple of weeks, and so I just wanted to go ahead and kind of knock it out uh, here as well. So, Jared, if you want to go ahead and enjoy that uh, during the sermon today, that'd be great. So uh, we are talking about gluttony this morning, and if this is your first Sunday with us uh, during this series, we've been in a series that we're calling Sinning Like a Christian, and it's, uh, it's been a fun series to think about, and obviously getting to eat in front of you guys is both awkward, incredibly awkward, sitting at a table by yourself and looking out at several hundred people and eating, uh, but it's also been incredibly fun. Uh, it's been a really great uh, series for us to think about as a staff and for us to get to preach about. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, our topic today about gluttony. Uh, and let me just go ahead and uh, all the cards on the table. I really like food. Uh, how many, just raise a, raise a hand, F- food is your thing. Like, if, if there was one thing in the world, it's food. Uh, yeah, it's me too. Uh, I love food. Uh, it's, it's so good. And this morning, I just want to go ahead and, and quell your fears. Just go ahead and, and d- d- dissipate, get those out of the way. This is not a sermon telling you how bad food is for you. Uh, trust me, if, if that was this sermon, I would not be the one preaching it. Uh, this is a sermon, though, that we're going to think about, and we're going to talk about what gluttony means for us. And I think it actually has a lot to tell us. Uh, the ancient Christians have a lot that we can learn from about this particular deadly sin. So we've talked about several deadly sins so far, and we've put them up on this little chalkboard. Uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, we've done is we've kind of identified maybe something that can be a positive to go along with it. Uh, but it's something also that if we take it to its extreme, it can be very harmful. And so the word that we're thinking about this morning is this word right here, fulfillment. And so I'm going to go ahead and add our letters here. And gluttony is a long word, so I hope I spell it right. Let's see if I can get it. I knew that was going to happen at some point. I, I, let's see if we can get it to stay. Maybe we can't. We might be dealing with gluttony today. I don't know. Well, I'm going to fix this during the week because this is a bad start for us. It's going to be a, an eclectic week. <clears throat> Moving on. I did say, did I not? Did I not say at the beginning of this series that that was going to happen at some point? Oh, man. You know, you hope these things go well, and sometimes they just come back, and it's not worth it in the end. So we've been talking about these words, right, these, these positive words. And, and the word that we're dealing with today, it looks weird now, but it's the word fulfillment. Uh, and, and this word is particularly important as we think about gluttony. Uh, it's a particularly dangerous word if we're not careful with it, because uh, what we often tend to think is that if we can just be fulfilled as people, then life will move along smoothly. Life will be good. Uh, you know, our relationships with people will be great. Uh, we'll have a, the perfect job. We'll be totally fulfilled. Everything will be great and wonderful. Uh, but the danger, with, especially with gluttony, is that when we have this thought, when we think that we can be fulfilled, when we think that we can be satisfied by something external, by something other than God, that we actually come to find that that one thing that we, we look to can never truly, truly satisfy us. Excuse me, it's that honey butter chicken biscuit coming back. <laughs> so the ancient Christians, when they, when they talked about this sin of gluttony, one of the things that they noticed was that gluttony 
uh, in comparison to the other seven, to the other six, I should say, uh, gluttony is one that kind of stands out. It's not one that we often think, oh, that's terrible. That's just the worst thing that you can do. Uh, you know, we might think anger or pride or envy or something like that is much more deadly than gluttony. Gluttony, what's wrong with eating a little bit too much, right? Uh, but the, the problem with that is that when we think that about gluttony, it gets extra added power. Because one of the things we said from the very beginning of this series was that we are convinced that these sins will constantly mask themselves. They will try to hide. They will try to convince you that they're not as bad as they really are. And so when you have this thought about something like gluttony, when you think, oh, gluttony's not that bad. That's just eating too much. Uh, when you have that thought, you actually give power to gluttony. And gluttony will begin to have a foothold in your life. So gluttony can be extremely dangerous because of that, because we often think that it's not so bad, that it's not as bad as some of the other things. Uh, but one of the other things that the ancient Christians teach us is that exactly when we think that we're not caught up in these sins is the moment that we need to examine ourselves, because we might just find that that's the moment that they have us trapped and ensnared. So this morning, uh, a couple weeks ago, when, we, when I got to preach on greed, uh, we had a little, uh, you know, audience participation. And, and so this morning, uh, I want to kind of have a, a similar little test-type experiment, because I just want to find out how many of us in the audience today are gluttons. Because I don't think, if I asked you the question, how many of you are gluttons, I don't think, I may get, like, two hands or something. Like, yeah, that's me. Uh, Marvin's in the back. He's, he's claiming it. Uh, okay, so we're going to do a little test. So let's be honest with ourselves here. Let's, let's just... All the cards on the table, everyone. No peeking, okay? This is about you, not your neighbor. Okay, so let me ask you a couple questions, and let's see uh, just kind of how we rate where we are on this scale. So how many of us have ever eaten a meal uh, that has more than, let's say, two courses in it? Oh, okay, a lot of us. Okay, how many of us have eaten a meal that has more than three courses? Okay, four? Anybody? Five? There's still some hands, you guys. Okay, so I'm not saying that just because you've had a single meal that has more than five courses, I'm not saying that makes you a glutton, but, uh, you know, you might want to check your waistline. Let's just, let's just be honest about it. All right, let me ask another question. Let's see about this one. How many of us have ever uh, left a meal uh, and just felt terrible? Uh, you, you, you know, immediately you stand up from the table and you just know, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that much. I should not have done that. Yeah, that's just about every meal for me, so uh, just being honest. Okay, one more question. Okay, how about this one? How many of you have ever used the phrase, my eyes are bigger than my stomach? How many of us? Yeah, me too. I, buffets, I get like the, the tallest plate, you know, and I eat like maybe a half of it. Uh, and, and all, you know, all the rest of it just goes to waste. So, okay, these are not indications that you are a glutton, but they are good questions for us to ask ourselves from time to time and just think about, okay, where exactly do I, do I stand when it comes to this? Where, where exactly do I stand? And so uh, one of the other things that I want us to think about uh, is maybe uh, I just want you to think about the best meal you've ever eaten. The best, uh, maybe, maybe it was you were traveling and in a foreign country. Uh, maybe it was something that you don't normally get to have. Maybe uh, it was a special occasion like an anniversary dinner or, or a birthday or something, and you just had this phenomenal, phenomenal meal. Okay, now here's the thing about that meal. How many of you, after having that meal, woke up the next morning and thought to yourself, I could go for some breakfast right now. Anybody? Okay, here's the thing. Because you just had the best meal of your life. Uh, you just ate the thing that you were like, that is it. It will never get any better than this right here. And then you woke up the next morning and you were still hungry. You were ready for something else, for something different. And this is what gluttony promises but cannot deliver on. 
that that thing, that meal, that food that we want to eat or consume, that somehow it will satisfy us, that somehow we'll be fulfilled by it. But we all wake up the next morning ready for breakfast, some of us for second breakfast. The truth is that food, as good as it is, can never truly satisfy. We will always wake up the next morning ready for more. Gluttony promises something that it cannot deliver on. It promises that the food that we eat, the thing that we consume, will sustain us and fulfill us. But it can't. And so when it comes to gluttony, I've already told you that it's dangerous because we often think that it doesn't have as much power as it does. But it's dangerous for other reasons, too. Uh, And so I want to tell you guys a couple of the reasons that I've kind of figured out as I've been studying for this sermon, as I've been thinking about it. Uh, And I'm sure that there are many more things that are dangerous about the sin of gluttony. One of the things that I've noticed is that in our culture, we are obsessed with a certain type of body image. Anybody ever heard a sermon about, like, how our culture is obsessed with body image? Uh, This is not that sermon. Um, But we as a culture are obsessed with a certain type of body image. And so we will do things and push against things that don't lead us towards that. And so one of the things that's dangerous about gluttony is that it will try to convince us that we have to be a certain way or behave a certain way. Uh, And if we don't, then we might as well just go all out the other direction uh, because it doesn't really matter much if we don't fit that one image or that one stereotype. So gluttony is dangerous because it, it, it toys with our mind. It toys with the things that we think about ourselves with our own self-image when, in fact, God tells us that we are made in his image. And so, uh, you know, those sermons that tell you that, you know, the culture is terrible for doing this to us and, you know, if magazines would just go away, we would be so much better. Um, the truth is that this is a sin that's not really all that much to do with your body and much more to do with your heart. And so, and we often think of it the other way around. We often think that gluttony, you know, an indicator of gluttony might be our body. That the way that we look might be an indication of what we do. But the truth about gluttony is that you can be really skinny and be a glutton. The truth is that you can, you can be uh, someone who uh, is obese and overweight, and you can be the opposite of a glutton. You can be working as hard as you can to go the other way. But maybe that's just the way that your body works. And so one of the things that is so important to think about this is that this is not an issue about your body. This is an issue about your heart. I really like the way that Gordon talked about this during communion because he talked about this idea of a physical body and a spiritual body. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I want us to go ahead and begin to think about it because Christians throughout the centuries have claimed that our bodies and our spirits are somehow connected And that anytime we try to separate them out and say, no, it's just about the physical, or no, it's just about the spiritual, that that has always been wrong. And the Christian church has always said no to that. It's not either or. It's both. Both our physical and our spiritual body working together to show how God has created us in his image. So one of the dangers is that this becomes an issue about the body, and it's not. It is an issue about the heart, about where we find fulfillment, about where we think that we are satisfied from. One of the ancient Christians, Augustine, said uh, that we are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. And so when we seek fulfillment from food or, or from drink or from something that we can consume, the thing that we find is that we are always left wanting more, that we are always unsatisfied. And Augustine would tell us that the only true satisfaction, the only true fulfillment that we can have comes through God. One of the other dangers of gluttony, is that we can think of gluttony as just eating too much. 
that if you just eat too much food, then that's when you become a glutton. The ancient Christians actually said that, yes, that is a form of gluttony, but there are actually several other forms that are equally dangerous and equally important. And so I want to just very briefly uh, tell you guys what those four are, and I don't know everything about them, um, but I'm going to try and explain as best as I can. So one of the things that they said was, to, was a form of gluttony was that if you ate too daintily, uh, and anybody have any idea about what on earth I'm talking about when you eat too daintily? It's a really weird phrase. Uh, what they say is that when you eat so particularly when you choose only certain types of food, that that's a form of gluttony. So imagine this. You're at a, a, a friend's house. They invite you over. You're a guest for a meal, and they've prepared something. They've prepared a meal for you, uh, and let's say, I don't know, it has broccoli in it. Does anybody in here like broccoli? Okay, I've offended, oh, I've offended a lot of people just now. Oh, goodness, I did not expect that many. Okay, let's do something else. Let's, uh, somebody call out a food you don't like. Carrots. Okay, that's going to offend a lot of people, too. Anyways. Okay, so it's got something, it's got that one thing in it that you don't like. You don't want to have anything to do with it. Has anybody ever, like, uh, on your plate, like, scooped those things out of whatever it is and, like, separated it off of your plate? Um, so, okay, that's the polite way to do it. Okay, the, the, the way that you could eat too daintily to do it is to say to your host, who has prepared this meal for you and invited you to participate in it, is to say to them, uh, is there any way that I can get this without... Is there any way that, that we could get the broccoli out of here or, or the carrots or, you know, whatever the one thing is? Is there any way that, that you could make me a plate with none of that in it? That would be eating too daintily. You're choosing certain things over other things. And especially in the context of being a guest at someone else's meal, uh, you are a glutton in that moment. Okay, so eating too daintily, that's one form. Let's try another one. Eating too sumptuously. Okay, that's a big word. Uh, I wish Mike Young was up here to tell us what that meant. Uh, but sumptuously is basically saying that you're only going to have the best of the best. Uh, that you're going to have, like, fresh fish flown in. Uh, try saying that five times fast. Fresh fish flown in. I can't even do it. But you're going to have, you know, that, that fish flown in, and you're going to enjoy that. Or you're going to have some exquisite meal, or you're going to eat something that, that is so good and so, uh, so rare that, you know, not everybody can just get their hands on it by driving down the road. So you eat too sumptuously. Okay, the next one, they say, is the one that we all identify. You eat too much. Uh, you, just, you just hoard and hoard and hoard, and you just gain and gain and gain. You just eat all that you can. You eat too much. Uh, the fourth one that they identify is eating too quickly. Has anybody ever been to a meal where, like, somebody that you're with is, like, leaning against the table and, like, just, like, it just seems like they're not, like, they, maybe they're, like, both hands, like, doing something. I haven't, I haven't done that. Um, but, okay, so you can eat too quickly. You can just eat just, like, as fast as you can. And the ancient Christians would tell us that that's a form of gluttony, that we're actually relying too much on food to fulfill and satisfy us when we do that. And then the last one eating too greedily, that, that we don't have a care in the world for what anybody else eats, that we don't have a care in the world whether or not they get their fill, whether they have plenty or enough, as long as we get ours, eating too greedily. So the ancient Christians would say that these five things are especially difficult and dangerous when it comes to gluttony, and I'm sure that there are many more. I'm sure that all of you are sitting there thinking, what about this? What about eating this way? I'm sure that there are so many different ways that we could identify gluttony in our lives, but we have to remember in each of these cases, it's a matter of the heart that's truly defining us. If we find our fulfillment in food or drink or consumption, we're missing out on what God has created us for. Uh, so going back to this idea of the physical body and the spiritual body. Uh, Gordon, thank you for bringing that up. This is absolutely the case. And Christians for centuries have said it's not one or the other, it's both. 
And in fact, in Jesus, we see that this is fulfilled because we found out, find out in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the Word became flesh. Uh, Jesus is somehow this miraculous bringing together of both spirit and body and the full completeness of that in this world. And so God has created us in his image, and so he's asking of this as, for us as well, that somehow we would combine both spirit and body together, and that we would find completeness in God because of that. And so the passage that I want us to turn to and read this morning and, and think about for a little while comes out of the uh, book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be there in just a moment. But before we read it, I want to give you just a, a small bit of context to, so that we know what we're talking about here. Paul is writing this letter to this Philippian church that he helped to found, and he's writing to encourage this group of believers. Uh, these, these Christians are, are faithful Christians. They're, they're doing well as a church, but Paul writes to encourage them and to, to encourage them to continue on with what they're doing. And so uh, right before Paul gets to the part where he's going to actually begin to admonish a couple of the members and tell them to get their act together, he actually writes this passage that we're going to read this morning. Uh, This comes out of Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 17. So Paul says to them, brothers and sisters, become imitators of me and those who live this way. You can use us as models. As I have told you many times and now say with deep sadness, many people live as enemies of the cross. Their lives end with destruction. Their God is their stomach, and they take pride in their disgrace because their thoughts focus on earthly things. Our citizenship, though, is in heaven. We look forward to a Savior that comes from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our humble bodies so that they are like his glorious body by the power that also makes him able to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and miss, who are my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. There's a lot of good stuff in this passage. I just want to kind of pull out a couple of different things as we think about this passage. Paul mentions that the people who rely on their God to be their stomach, that their end is destruction. Uh, that's pretty harsh language. That's pretty, uh, pretty like right in your face. Like if you rely on the physical, on what you can put in your stomach, if that becomes your God, your life will end in destruction. Paul doesn't take this as a joking matter at all. He thinks this is extremely serious. And he's, it's as if he's saying, if you think that just you know, getting the f- fulfillment from a physical uh, meal or, or that you can have in your physical body, if you think that that's all that there is, you're missing out on so much more. Your end will be destruction. And at the end of the passage, I love in, in verse 1 of chapter 4 what Paul says, he, he, my dear brothers and sisters, the ones whom I love and miss. It's as if Paul is saying, I don't want this for you. I want something better. I want your life to have true fulfillment and not to simply waste away in destruction. Uh, Paul, at the end of the passage, gives the, the point. He says, this is what you need to do. So if there's one thing that you take from the sermon this morning, here's what it is. Stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment, whether it's gluttony or whether it's some other sin, whether it's one of these on the board or not, if there is one thing that you can do, it's to stand firm in the Lord. And notice, too, what it says about Jesus. Because a lot of times when we think about when Jesus comes back, that we're going to be, like, taken away on the clouds and we're going to become spiritual beings and and somehow we're going to be in heaven in this other place. But notice what Paul talks about in this passage. Jesus will come again. And he'll take our humble bodies and make them into glorious bodies. It's as if to say that the physical is still just as much a part of it. That our physical bodies, our physical being will still be just as much a part of us then as it is now. 
that the future that we're waiting for is not some spiritual future. It's both physical and spiritual. The, path, the phrase that Paul uses in here to really drive this home is this phrase that they are citizens of heaven. And we read that passage and we read that phrase and we think that is a really nice way of talking about it. That is, that's what I want. That's what I want to be. I want to be a citizen of heaven. But for Paul, he's writing to a group of Philippians. Uh, and that might not sound like it means anything, but it does. Because Philippi, the city that this church is in, is actually a city that's been founded. It's a colony for, the, for Rome. And so Paul's writing to these people who have been displaced. A lot of them were uh, formerly soldiers that they went and, and conquered this land for, for the Romans. And then they're left there. It's a, it's a colony. It's an outpost of, of Rome. So they would say that they're citizens of Rome, even though they're not living in Rome. But Paul says, that's not your true citizenship. Your true citizenship is in heaven, both physical and spiritual, bringing together of both of these things. Paul writes these words to help encourage this group of believers, to tell them that they can live this kind of life, that if they stand firm in the Lord, that they'll begin to see what God wants for his creation, physical and spiritual brought together. And in that moment, they'll find fulfillment in God. So when I was in uh, high school, a quick story about me. Uh, Me and my friends decided that we really wanted to celebrate the uh, Christian holiday called Fat Tuesday. Uh, Some of you may have heard of Fat Tuesday before. It comes immediately before Ash Wednesday uh, in the Lenten season when you begin to fast uh, throughout the week. And so we decided that we wanted to celebrate this, this wonderful Christian holiday that, that, that was invented and created. Uh, but we decided that, you know, once a year was not really good enough. Uh, so we were going to celebrate Fat Tuesday every Tuesday. Uh, every Tuesday would be Fat Tuesday. So I'm not joking. Every Tuesday at lunchtime, we would uh, leave school early and we would go to a place called CeCe's Pizza, Buffet Pizza. How, it doesn't get any better as a high schooler. And we would eat a minimum of 10 slices of pizza each. Uh, that is a true story, and uh, let me tell you, it set me down a bad path because now every meal that I have, it's like, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't measure up to 10 slices of pizza. So we would celebrate this Fat Tuesday every, every week. And what we came to find out is that when we did that, we would leave that meal feeling terrible. We would leave that meal oh, just so angry at ourselves for doing this to ourselves. But we thought it was so much fun, and we we enjoyed getting to do it together. Uh, And what we found is that food was really not the thing that we were desiring. What we were desiring was spending time with each other. And sure, getting to eat 10 slices of pizza from CeCe's was fun, and we got to enjoy that together. But it wasn't what we truly wanted. See, gluttony is this thing that convinces us that it's, it's something about our bodies. It's something about the physical. It's something about who we are. When really it's masking that desire that we have for community. That desire that we have for, for spending time with one another. Maybe that desire that we have for being with God. Gluttony is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the body. And it's only when we find that we can stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ that we begin to see that he has been bringing together physical and spiritual and showing us what it means to be a truly fulfilled person all along. Paul says that we're citizens of heaven. It's a great phrase. It's a great thing for us to strive for. But we're not citizens of heaven then. 
we're citizens of heaven now. One of the things that we often do when we think about heaven is we think about some future time. And that's absolutely accurate. In the future, God is going to make all things right. He's going to bring heaven and it's going to collide with earth. And in one moment, everything is going to be made right. But Paul says, we're citizens of heaven now. So we better start acting like it. We better start living that way today. As we near the end of our service today, I want us to think about a couple of questions, a couple of things that we can ask ourselves as we leave here today, maybe as, as you go throughout your week. Uh, there are three simple questions. The first one is the question of how. How am I eating? How am I consuming? How am I doing things? How is my life unfolding in a way that shows what the desires of my heart are? Is my desire to be fulfilled by some external food or drink? Or is my desire to be filled by God? The next question is what? What am I eating and consuming? What is it that I'm looking to? What is that one thing that I'm relying upon day after day? Is it God? Or is it something else? And then I think the more important question that we need to ask ourselves, why? Why am I relying on this one thing day after day? Why do I rely on food or drink or what I can consume? I think if we honestly answer those questions, in the moments that are difficult for us, we'll begin to see that our desires maybe don't match up with what God wants for us. That what we want most, that what our heart desires is not this coming together of physical and spiritual and somehow learning from Jesus what it means to be a fully fulfilled person. But maybe our desires point us to something else entirely. There's a story of a man that I... Uh, really love hearing about. Uh, it's the story uh, of myself as a young boy. Uh, how's that for pride? Uh, we'll get there. But I, I've told you this story before, actually. It's the story of me at communion as a young boy. Uh, in the first couple of years that I, that I participated in taking communion and, and was learning about what communion meant, uh, I've told you that I hated the cracker. Uh, it, it just left my mouth feeling uh, dry and like I needed to eat something else or to drink something immediately after. But I loved, loved, loved the juice. Uh, and in fact, every time that my parents would go to the grocery store, I would try to convince them to buy a bottle of grape juice so that I could have that grape juice at home as well as at church. What I found as a young boy was that that little cracker and that little cup of juice, they didn't really satisfy my hunger or my thirst at the time. It was just a small little meal. It wasn't really enough to, to sustain me physically. But what I found is that the implication of the meal that we take together every week, the implication is that God is the one who fulfills us. That in remembering the act of Christ on the cross and in the Last Supper, that what we actually get to do in that moment is to recognize that we need God in our lives. And that God is the one who sustains and fulfills us. So we've already taken communion together this morning. It was just a little piece of cracker. Just a little cup of juice. It probably didn't feel like it sustained much. It probably didn't feel very fulfilling. You might be looking at this other half of this honey butter chicken biscuit up here and thinking, man, I can't wait to get to lunch. But what we find in that moment is that that little cracker and that little cup sustain us in ways that we don't even know about. Paul tells us to stand firm in the Lord. 
There's so much that goes into that, into trusting God, into, into relying on him, into truly believing that he's the only one who can sustain us, provide for us, fulfill us. But if we stand firm, we'll come to find that this God that we worship is one who truly does satisfy, truly fulfills us.